Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby of Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. So, a couple of weeks ago, or we're in the third part of a series called Grown Ups. From the childlike faith, going from a childlike faith to a grown-up salvation. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how there, there's this thing that kind of, I, I don't know how long it's been going on, but a lot of kids are taken to church and they're dropped off and they go to Sunday school and maybe church and then their parents come and get them and then they go home, right? It, you, you see it all over the place. And, and, and when those kids grow up, well, they don't really go to church because they figured that they've been to enough church and they'll do it like their parents did. So they take their kids to church and drop them off and then come pick them up. And, and now we, what, the result of that is, is a group of people that have basically a kindergarten level understanding of what it means to follow Christ right? A, a kindergarten understanding level, but, but they're adults. Well, we know that adults aren't going to act like kindergartners most of the time. So in all of these big holes they have in their theology, in their faith, what happens is they start filling it in with what they, they think it should be, right? So we're going back and we're looking at some of these children's stories that are, that are very prominent and stuff like that. But we're going to relook at them instead of just being Noah's Ark with, you know, the elephants and the camels and the giraffes and the doves and everybody's happy and the sun is shining and Noah's fishing. You know, we looked and, and understood that the flood was the result of the wickedness that had spread all over this earth. And there was nothing great about Noah's Ark or the flood. It symbolized a time when God said that only one man on this entire earth was righteous, and that was Noah. So how can we become righteous? Well, we know that we cannot really become righteous on our own. I was actually being sick this week. I've, I've re-watched The Chosen, and, and, I, and I love it. You know, and, and, and I mean, listen, if you want to go pick it apart, it's easy to do. Anybody with an IQ of 10 can pick something apart, okay? But it takes somebody, something special to see what these people are trying to do in making this show. And I loved it when uh, Mary is standing there around a fire one time and, and the disciples are all talking about how they're not worthy and they don't know if they can be holy as Jesus and Mary's uh, pipes up and Mary says something like this. She says, well, I don't think that we can be holy. And I think that's why he's here is because we can't be holy without him. Mm. <laughs> that's good stuff right there. That's good stuff. So we talked about the creation all the way through uh, you know, we talked about Cain and Abel and the difference in obedience and sacrifice. And then we talked about the wickedness and the flood. And now we get to probably my, I don't know, it's a toss up. Who would you rather meet, Peter or King David? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go with King David. I'm going to go with King David. Now, if you don't really know who King David is, then everybody has probably heard of David and Goliath, right? But that's not where we're going to start. Where we're going to start is that, and, and in the first series, we kind of talked about how Saul had messed up. And we actually answered the question, how could a loving God wipe out an entire, uh, and it's called Harem, H-E-R-E-M, Harem, 
to wipe out an entire nation of people, men, women, children, babies, animals, livestock, everything, right? How could a loving God do that? Well, that was the Amalekites, right? And they had been Israelites' uh, enemies for a long time. And finally, God said, you know what? I've had enough of them. Go wipe them all out. Men, women, babies, children, blah, 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 blah. Well, he gave that order to King Saul, the first king of Israel, right? Well, Saul went down there and he killed every man, woman, child, baby, and livestock, except for the king of the Amalekites and except for the absolute best calves that the Amalekites were raising. Probably some black baldies or something like that, you know. It, they, they didn't have a lot of hair on them, I can assure you that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so they decided to keep some of them against God's word, right? That was not God's command. Well, God snitched Saul off to the prophet Samuel, right? And he told Samuel, he was like, Saul didn't do what I told him to. He ain't on my good side no more. He, I'm done with Saul. I'm done with him. Saul, so Samuel says, well, I'll go take care of it, but what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to go to a man named Jesse in Bethlehem and I want you to anoint one of his sons as king, right? But Saul is still king. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand that. Saul is still king. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, asks where this fellow named Jesse is. They give him directions, and he walks in. And here's the prophet. Like, I mean, this was a, he wasn't only a prophet of God. He was a judge of God. He was the last judge. Now, if you don't remember what judges are, those were kind of the people that ruled Israel for God once they reached the promised land before there was a king. Okay, if, if somebody was attacking Israel, God would raise up a judge. How about like this one, Gideon? Or how about this one? Here's a real famous one. Samson was one of the judges, right? Well, Samuel was the last judge that Israel had. And he's still a prophet. He's no longer a judge because now Israel has a king, right? And he goes to Jesse and he goes, I'm here to anoint one of your kids as king. Let's see your boys. And I mean, here comes all the boys, right? And Samuel is in awe of Jesse's oldest. He's like, well, there he is. There he is. I mean, he probably looked like some Viking warrior, right? Two battle axes and, you know, because he was high. Because Saul was a big guy, right? He looked like a king. And whenever Jesse's oldest came out, Samuel thought to himself, well, there he is. This is easy. Now, I, I want you to understand something with this first verse that we're going to read in, in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Okay, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Talking about the oldest, right? The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so he's like, now this isn't it. You got any more kids? So all these boys keep coming out. Like here's, here's number two, here's number three, here's number four, here's number five, right? And all of them look like kings. But every one of them, God doesn't say anything. And, and it was interesting in my studying of, you know, different commentaries and stuff on this biblical deal. They said that this was a strange time for Samuel because God had not revealed who it was to Samuel, just where he was. So Samuel, for the first time in his life, is going into something blind. Like, he doesn't know. He's having to wait on God. And if you read the whole story, you know, Samuel's like, oh, that's the one I'm going to choose right there. Since God hadn't said anything, God's like, it's not him. 
right? Man, I, would you wish God would do that for you? Man, I'm going, not that way. Okay. No problem, God. And, and, you know, if you've been around, say, the cowboy any length of time, you've heard me say, I reserve the right for God to change my mind at any moment, at any time, about anything. So if you ever come and say, well, I thought you said, well, God said. Okay? Well, I guess God said differently. In this particularly, particularly memorable statement in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord uttered one of the most important statements in all of Scripture regarding divine concerns and human capacities. See, God doesn't judge by outward appearance, but by the heart. Finally, all the boys that were there have showed up, right? And, they, and Samuel's like, uh, Jesse? <laughs> You might have to talk to your wife because we need another son because none of these are them, right? And he goes, well, we, I, I mean, I do have one more. Samuel's like, well, where is he? Like, well, he's watching the sheep and goats. Well, fetch him. So he goes out and fetches him and brings him back. And God says, boom, there he is right there. He's a little bitty ruddy-faced teenager. Picked on all by his older brothers. God doesn't judge by outward appearance, but by the heart. But what can heart be then? Because we also remember, what is David called? A man after God's own heart. So what is this heart that seems to be so important surrounding God and King David? A man after his own heart. But the Lord looks at the heart, right? What can the heart be then? Is it just courage? Well, I think it includes that. Is it honor? Well, of course, it has to be, right? If God loves your heart, you're going to be honorable. Is it because he's respectful? I think so. How about fear of the Lord? Absolutely, right? Strength of will? Probably. Truthfulness? I'd bet so. How about integrity? Absolutely, right? All of these things are included in what the Bible says that God looks at the heart, right? But what if there was something else? What if there was something else? What if I may introduce a new area that belongs in the heart and it also belongs in us if we want to inherit the kingdom of God and see where we're going to go today in this life of King David that we're going to quickly cover is that the heart is where the process takes place. The heart is the place where transformation takes place. The heart is the beginning of all things. See, we, I think that God loved David, not because David was perfect, because we know dang well he wasn't, right? We know David wasn't perfect, but we know that he had a love for the Lord, and we know that he has all of these qualities. But I think the, the red thread that weaves through David's life, whether he's on the highest of the high or the lowest of low, that what God loved about David is that David trusted God's process. Okay? You know what I mean by process, right? Like, I mean, I'm not that way anymore, but a couple of years ago, I was pretty big dude. Well, you know what that process is? That process is five to six days a week in the gym for about three years. That's the process. And if you trust that process and you do that process, you will make a transformation on your body, right? 
If you open up your Bible and you read where Jesus says, do not fear and, and do it this way, don't do it that way. If you do all those things, you are trusting in God's process. And I'm here to tell you today that above anything that David could have been, might have been, was or wasn't, the one thing David did was he trusted the process. And maybe that's what God is asking out of us as well. The process of trust that becomes faith. The process of love that becomes, an, that becomes an overflowing love. The process of following the way, the truth, and the life. The process of transformation, regeneration, redemption, and sanctification. That process, David loved the process. And we see the results in his life when he followed it, and we see the results in his life when he didn't. But he still followed the process, whether for good or not. We've all heard it said that David was a man after God's own heart. But today we're going to talk about how trusting in the process can change your entire life. Now we get to David and Goliath. David and Goliath. I really don't think that they're going to care about this. If I end up disappearing for some reason, y'all will know where it came from. But whenever I was in Israel... I uh, can't remember if it was the first time or the last time. Ty, did, did, did we go to the Valley of Eli the first time or was that the second time? Okay, it's probably the second time we went. But we went to the Valley of Eli where, uh, where the battle of David and Goliath took place, okay? Now, it, and you have to understand that the, the Philistines, that, that's, Goliath was a Philistine. They were a sea people living down where Gaza is now, where the war between Israel and Gaza are right now. That's where the Philistines were. That's not an accident, I don't think. But anyway, uh, there's these valleys that lead interior, okay? Like all, all of the valleys seem to go east and west in Israel because like when you stand on the Mount of Olives looking west right into Jerusalem, right at that dome of the rock, there's the Kidron Valley that runs right through there and it runs east to west. Well, that's where all these invading armies, they would take these valleys all the way into the interior of uh, Israel. Well, the Philistines came in and if you think of a valley, there has to be a high place on each side, right? So the Israelites are on one hill, the Philistines are on the other hill, and neither one of them is going to go down to try to attack the other one because you don't attack a fortified position that's higher than you, right? So they're in a stalemate. I mean, they're just standing there looking at each other, and they're like, well, I know if we go down into the valley, they're going to rain down arrows and slings and all of this other stuff on us and kill us. Well, the Israelites know the same thing. So what the Philistines do is they get their champion, a fella named Goliath, who was nine feet, nine inches tall at the head. Now, I don't, like, if y'all, if you watch NBA, there's a new guy named Victor Wibben. And he's like seven foot four, and he's the tallest man I've ever seen in my life. He looks down at NBA players, right? Goliath was two feet, five inches taller than him. I mean, his... I have no idea. Like, this is an eight foot. <laughs> Imagine nine foot nine, right? He weighed, he wore 175 pounds of armor, not counting his weapons. This was a big dude. So he walks down into the valley and calls out all the Israelites. Come on, cowards. 
See what you got. Send one person to me. If they beat me, we'll all be your servants. And if I beat them, y'all will all be my servants. Nobody walks out. Who's going to fight a nine foot, nine inch tall, mean guy with 175 without a 6.5 Creedmoor? <laughs> right? Well, there's a little shepherd boy that's fixing to show up with some food from his, for his brothers. And he's got one of those. I was telling you about that they're going to come get me. I actually picked up five stones in the Valley of Elah. And I brought them back and I gave them to my son. And I gave them to him for Christmas. And like he thought it was cool, right? But my dad heard about that. And he contacted my son and he said, Griffin, he said, I know that this is a big, big ask. But if you could give me one of those stones, that is my favorite story out of all of Scripture. He said, I'd treasure it for the rest of my life. And Griffin gave him one of them, right? So David gets there and he's talking, right? He's talking to his brothers. His brothers are mean to him and everything. And then finally, Goliath walks out. And I can imagine David, he's just a little bitty old, probably not no 14-year-old, something like that, you know, thinks he can't be beat. Still hadn't really come into his testosterone yet, but getting there, probably his voice squeaks, I'll kill Goliath! And so Goliath walks out there and David's like, you ain't got nothing on, you know, who, who do you think you are? David's like, I'll go kill that dude. <laughs> so Saul's like, well, come here, man. Let's put all this armor on you. So they put armor on David. And it looks like a kid in his dad's boots. You know what I mean by that? You know, the boots come up to here and the sleeves are down here. And, and David's like, get me out of all this. I can't do anything with this. So David walks out there and says, I'm your huckleberry. That's actually where that came from. It's not a lot of people know that, but that's where it comes from. Huckleberry's a, a, a Jewish word for, for bringing on, okay? Y'all are learning a lot of new things today. D David walks out there and picks up five stones. He's got a shepherd's staff, a sling, and five stones. And he walks out there. And Goliath said, who are y'all to send a dog after me? Right? And he just really rips the Israelites a new one. Talks bad to them, right? And then David says this. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I'll cut off your head. David was, McLean is a descendant of David. That's, that, that, that's one of our rancher's favorite deals is he'll cut off everybody's head. Anytime something goes wrong, I'll cut your head off. That's where it came from right there. But David said, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut your head off. I mean, this is a little boy talking to a giant. I mean, the, the, the head on Goliath's spear was two thirds the size of David. So what does David do? He grabs one of his little stones, puts it in, what? Hits David right between the eyes, or hits Goliath right between the eyes, Goliath falls, David walks over there, picks up the giant's own sword, which should have been hard to do anyway, and does exactly what he says, and cuts Goliath's head off. Boy, you want to talk about an MMA match that was heavily betted against? It was that one, right? It was that one. But see, Here's part of the process that I'm talking about. See, God has prepared you 
God is preparing you right now, whether you realize it or not. God had been preparing David for this battle his entire life, and David knew it. See, David had fought, and and he talks about this. Go read it in 1 Samuel. It's amazing. David had fought hand-to-hand with lions and bears, and he told Saul, I have rescued my lambs out of the mouths. I have pried open the jaws of bears and lions. This dog ain't nothing compared to that. Right? Boy, that's bold right there. But David knew. He's like, man, I'm grizzlies or this tall dude covered in metal. I can outrun him if nothing else. Right? I don't even think I'm going to have to do that. David didn't break a sweat. Right? David had fought hand-to-hand with lions and bears. What's a mere man to do against even a child that has accomplished something like that? was prepared and so are you God has been preparing you since the time you were born he saw the potential he made you with that potential and the question is what are you going to do with it when the time comes don't you realize that even though God hasn't been your priority maybe for a long time maybe he's just now getting to be but just because God hasn't been your priority your entire life doesn't mean that you haven't been his listen The process, God is preparing you, and he's not done with you. He's not done with you. The process also includes the fact that God will guide you, right? God will guide his hand until the stone is thrown. I mean, yeah, practice probably had a lot to do with it, but do you really think in your heart of hearts that God didn't have a a finger on that stone as it flew through the air see we know that now but the difference is David knew it then without the proof that we have today see God's going to guide you he's not just going to prepare you he's going to guide you God will guide your hand until the stone is thrown or maybe we should say God will guide you until the stone hits its mark if God calls you to it God will guide you through it, right? And the third process that we can learn from the story of David and Goliath is this, that it is you have lost nothing if you have died for God. As a matter of fact, if you die for God, you have not only lost nothing, you have gained everything. And the crazy fact is, is that David knew it then, And some of us haven't realized it even now. That dying for God never is a loss, only a gain, right? It's only a gain. The fiercest warrior is the one without anything to lose and everything to win. That is what we operate from as authentic Christians because the devil has already been beaten, right? He has already been beaten. It doesn't matter what he does to us. They can come and nuke this building right now, and it's nothing but gain for all of us that have trusted him as our Lord and Savior. Death is not the end. Death is the release for us. This is our role in the kingdom of God. We are supposed to be warriors in spiritual armor. We are supposed to die, be willing to die every single day. That's the process. Because when you are willing to die to yourself every single day, when your death comes, it'll just be another day that you can look forward to. Not something scary. You've done it your entire life. You've put yourself in death-defying 
situations, maybe not literally, but Jesus says, man, to die is easy. To live every day is harder. Do that. Do that. Trust the process. We are not just willing to die. We are willing to do so every single day. It's the only way that you will reach your potential. It's when you go with the boldness that says, I will follow this trail even if it kills me, and even then it will do nothing but bring me gain. That's the process that David knew about. He knew that the process meant that God had prepared him just like he has prepared you, that God will guide you just like he did David, that, that we can die for God and still live forever. Let's see. You know what? This is going to go a little long, so we'll just save the rest of it for next time. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for getting me through today. Thank you for the hot lights and the sweat and the cough, and, but mostly thankful for all those that are listening today. God, you had a ton more to say, but that just means that we get to do it another Sunday. God, we love you. We thank you. And God, as we go through this week, I pray that they will study the process, the process of forgiveness, that all we have to do is ask and we shall receive, that we can die to ourselves every single day and not lose anything and gain everything with those deaths every single day. God, I pray that you raise up today, and maybe not all the way, but you, you plant that seed, that warrior's heart in all of us so that we might come to know you and trust in the process just like David did. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.